Greetings, heroes of the internet. I'm Nathan. And I'm Elisha. And this is Henshin Men, a podcast that celebrates Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures. In this installment, we will be discussing the 1995 film Mechanical Violator Hikider. Gurdjieff rules the dystopian city of Jesus Town with an iron fist, speaking of love and peace while brainwashing dissidents into mindless soldiers. Meanwhile, a robot built by his regime and stolen by rebels awakens and joins a ragtag team of freedom fighters, including a girl with prophetic dreams intent on toppling the tyrant. Again, heroes of the internet and faithful Henshin Men listeners, as you probably heard, Travis is still not here with me. He needed one more week on a little podcation, shall we say, to take care of some very important family matters. But I am once again joined by another great podcasting friend of mine, in this case, the littlest gatekeeper himself, Elijah Thomas of Kaiju Conversation. Hey, everybody, I'm here to prove that Nathan's a fake fan of the Henshin. <laughs> you want to th- prove everybody is a fake fan. That is one of your goals in life, you obnoxious little toddler. Look, man, if if you're like Michael and you say Godzilla vs. Kong is a good movie, I'm going to tell you you're a fake fan. <laughs> uh, uh, which Michael? Are we talking about the Michael in this movie or our friend Michael? I'm a little bit confused. I can't tell the difference, to be honest. Uh, I can't either, which we'll get into a little bit so (laughs) so today as you already know we're talking about mechanical violator hakaida because that's how the announcer on the trailer says it so you have to say it that way (laughs) mechanical violator hakaida hakaida (laughs) seriously we're this has to be the most 90s edgelord extreme thing I have ever covered on Henshin Men so far. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you haven't really covered many 90s things, so. Uh, no, uh, not on this show anyway. I have on the Monster Island Film Vault, but not on here. But this is just, this just screams 90s. <laughs> In a good way. Oh, yes, in a very good way. It's also noteworthy because this is only the second movie that we have covered on Henshin with Super Inframan being the first. And the other thing that is really cool about this is that this is the first piece of toku media 
covered on henshinmen, directed by the great Keita Amemia, or Amamiya, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> Which is cool because my next article for Kaiju Ramen Magazine which is one of the, I guess you could say, parent companies now for this podcast because we're part of the Kaiju Ramen Media Podcast Network. Sure. That, that's a mouthful. It is, uh, just a tiny bit. And also, I would like to point out, as of this recording, oh boy, their Kickstarter for Volume 1 is going crazy. <laughs> almost to 10k almost to 10k unfortunately i think this episode gets published right after the kickstarter is finished but nearly 10k when they had a goal of 6000 so this is crazy and like i said i'm writing an article on keita memia for the next issue so this was a good thing for me to watch right now <laughs> <laughs> But it sounds like, Elijah, from what you were saying before we started recording, that you had a heck of a time trying to watch this movie in preparation. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Do you want me to go into it? I oh, can, go into I can, it. I want to hear it. Okay, let's go. So, like, when we talked about recording this last week, honestly, I think it was the day of I went home and I started to watch the movie and I got, like, seven minutes in and I was like, I'm, I've not been in the mood for movies lately. And I just stopped it after seven minutes. And I was like, I'll pick this up later. Later never really came, to be honest. I just never had time. So last night comes around. I still haven't watched the movie. I was thrown into playing a character for a, a trial, a mock trial. Literally 24 hours before, I might add. I had 24 hours to prep to play a character who I had never <laughs> met before. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Stress <laughs> me out. I was exhausted, but I was like, I got to watch the movie. I got less than 24 hours before I got to get on a podcast and talk about it. And you haven't podcasted in a really long time. You've taken a very long hiatus to do a bunch of really cool things. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> Elijah said on Twitter a few weeks ago, I want to collaborate with somebody on something. I don't care what it is. I'm like, hey, I got a slot open for one of my podcasts. You want to come on? Oh, what's the subject? Hakiter. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. And. I'm starting to understand why I haven't really done much podcasting wise for a while. It's because it's so hard to <laughs> keep a straight schedule. Oh my God. <laughs> so anyway, you were trying to watch the movie. So I started it last night and you know, I had, I'd gotten ready for bed, but I was like, I'm going to sit, I'm going to watch it about seven minutes in. <laughs> I'm just, I, I'm passed out. I wake up, the credits are rolling, and not even the Japanese credits, it's the English credits. Oh no, like, which means that was even later. <laughs> yeah, so like, I wake up, I'm like, oh crap, I did watch the movie, I didn't get past <laughs> the part where the guy gets shot at, and then the the android comes in, it's like, you can't die. So I was like, okay, I took a nice power nap, I'm ready to do this now. So I start the movie again, 10 minutes into it. 
I woke up and I'm seeing them in this garden with these statues. And she's like, it's beautiful here. I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> what, what, what happened? So I'm like, crap. Okay, fine. Restarted again. And keep in mind, I had school the following day. So I got home at 1130. I started the movie at midnight. I fell asleep. It's an hour movie. Woke up at like 1.30. Tried to watch it again. Fell asleep. We're looking at like 4, 4.30, 5. <laughs> I got to get up at 6.50. <laughs> so I'm like, I got one last shot to get this movie in. I need to watch the movie. So I, I, I restart it. And I, I press play, and I, I'm like, I'm doing really good. Like, I'm awake. I feel like I'm ready to get up and get moving. Fifteen minutes into this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I wake up. It's like 6.50. I got to get ready for school. I'm like, crap. I have no idea what I'm going to do. It was a hat day, man. I, I grabbed my Ultraman hat, threw that on like... <laughs> Nobody needs to see what's underneath this head. It's a mess. It's a mess. So I got to school. And I'm like, you know, Media Blasters and Tubi have a working partnership. I wonder, and I think I had done re I, I, I had done research prior because somebody asked me to give them a list of all the toku on Tubi. And it was on there. If I like I I could have swore I saw it on there. So I went on Tubi and I looked it up. It was on there. <gasps> it was a miracle because I was not it's a ready. January to miracle. It was. It's wait. It's still January. Oh no! It's still <laughs> January. Keep going. Keep going. Oh no! Oh god! <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> sorry. That's just wow. It's still January. So what I end up doing? I prop my feet up on the desk. I'm in the back of this classroom and this is like my most important class because I get a degree at the end of it. Uh -huh. So I'm supposed to be doing an internship, but due to COVID, the internship got delayed until tomorrow. I have to meet with them tomorrow. So I'm like, you know what? I could be doing the test for my Adobe certifications. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I have incriminating evidence right now on record. <laughs> yeah, you do. Oh, I, I, oh crap. I did say don't, don't, don't cut anything that isn't, that is incriminating. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I won't do that. Or maybe just finish just keep your story. It so from here, I pull up Tubi. My, my headphones are connected already. And I just look up Hikaida. And it's there, and I pull up the dub. I just I prop my phone kickstand up, and I just sit in the back of the classroom watching Hikaida. <laughs> my instructor walked be up behind me, I might add. And like I did grab my phone, and I was like, mm, don't look at what I'm doing. I mean, I tried to act like I'm learning. Like maybe I am watching, <laughs> maybe I'm watching these Adobe videos on my phone. You know, maybe that's what I'm doing. So I just, I don't think he looked at my screen. So I think that's what he thought I was doing. <laughs> but I was watching Akaida and like, I, I did take a break 
And when I was talking to people like, yeah, I'm just watching a movie. Don't tell him, please. <laughs> I got to watch this movie for a podcast tonight. <laughs> I'm begging you. I have work right after this. <laughs> and so I spent my entire three-hour class sitting watching Hikaida, took a 15-minute break, finished Hikaida, and just sat in the back of the room doing nothing. <laughs> oh, I also should say this. I didn't tell you this part. Like 10 minutes into watching Yakaida, I, I was nodding off to sleep. I'm like, oh my God, I gotta stay awake. I gotta get past this. Like, I'm, I, it's not bad yet, but like, I gotta get past this because I need to watch this movie and I cannot afford falling asleep again. <laughs> that, ladies and gentlemen, is what you call dedication. <laughs> Yeah, everybody, like I told like three people today that like I tried to watch this movie seven times and like I would have given up after the first time. And I was like, no, I, I gotta, I gotta watch it. I gotta watch it. <laughs> Saved by Tubi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tubi should make that an original series, Saved by Tubi. And it's just people. Saved by Tubi. It's just people in like situations and they're like, here's my Tubi app. I'm going to watch my favorite sitcom. <laughs> this podcast recording is in, by no means sponsored by or partnered with Tubi. <laughs> I was going to sneak in. Hakiter knows best. <laughs> <laughs> uh there's a meme i can make based on this episode hakiter knows best anyway so yes but all that to say yes we're talking about hakiter and Hikaida. yeah my story for watching it was a nearly as dramatic as yours i just popped in the blu-ray <laughs> oh you lucky lucky individual it must be uh, nice just popping in a blu-ray and just oh do 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 i'm gonna watch yeah this well well, I have been very busy basically running three podcasts at least part-time all week, and I am also working two jobs, and so I've been going without uh, as I've been going without sleep a little bit more than I would like this week. But stuff has to get done, you know? It does. It does. It does. But let's give people a little bit of a background on this film you pointed out that it's remarkably short it's actually about 77 minutes so you were close mm -hmm. unless you watch the original version yes which was only about 45 minutes if i remember correctly yeah something along those lines yes so what we watched today was the quote-unquote director's cut and near as I can tell, the reason why there are two versions is because this was originally released as part of a basically a, a, a little film festival that Toei put together to showcase some superhero movies. So it had to be shorter. Okay. Interesting. I, I will say this because this came out in 95, correct? Yes. Yeah. So that was a year after Kamen Rider Shin Prologue. Yes. No, and actually, it was a couple of years after that. Yeah, we you were looking it? at yeah you were looking at Common Writer, Zio and okay. J at this point. Because Toei had been working with Anamiya. I'm going to pronounce it that way. I'm sorry if that's a mispronunciation. Toei was working with Anamiya on both of those, and th those films are about 40, 45 ish minutes, mm -hmm. roughly. Which I don't think they got director cuts, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, there was also a video game made as a tie-in with this. I think it's also something of a sequel. Yeah, well. so after the film came out, there was I think it was Sega because Sega co Yes, it was it was on the Sega Saturn released mm-hmm. exclusively in Japan. I'm looking at it right now. And yeah, it took 10 place, uh, 10, 10 place. Oh, God, 10 years. It took place 10 years after the events of Mechanical Violator Hikaider, the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the game was called The Last Judgment. It's a light gun shooting game, which actually makes sense. Mm hmm. <laughs> Given that we got lots of shotgun action. <laughs> we did. We did. Yeah. The other thing that is worth noting is this film is, it's not an original property. It is actually based on a show from the seventies called Kakaida. And you've been watching a bit of Kakaida lately in preparation for this. Yeah, so I actually, I have watched the entire original show, it's 3D theatrical special, and I've seen like half of episode one of Kikaita Zero One, which was its sequel show. So I was very well acquainted with Hikaida before seeing this film, thankfully. Mm -hmm. So Hikaida is a character from that show. I did look up pictures of the original Hakaider, and you can definitely see the resemblance, but you can also see that, well, that old design was filtered through the 90s and the mad mind of Keita Amemia into something really different. Now, in, if I remember correctly, I haven't seen Hakaida yet, but in the original show, Hakaider was a villain, whereas in this... He's more of an anti-hero. Yeah, so the the idea... Do you want spoilers for Kikaida? Sure. Okay, so the idea is Kikaida has beaten all of Dark's... Dark is the evil company that uh, you've been watching, Common Rider. Yes. So it's, like it's, the same, it's the exact same premise. Dark is the corporation that's been making androids. They made Kikaida. And Kikaida's just destroyed all of them. Like, they're on the losing side. So they abduct the doctor because the doctor escaped. He's the one who created all the androids and Kikaida. They abduct him, and they conduct an experiment on him. They take his brain out of him, and they put it in the mind of a robot. Ah. And so Hikaida is actually the doctor in an android's body that actually explains why it looks like a in this movie has a glowing red brain on mm-hmm. his head i was mm-hmm. wondering about that I, th- I just figured it was just some sort of an aesthetic choice seems like it was also done as an homage and in the in Hik- uh, mechanical violator hikaider gurjev gurjev does say a scientist took the body of Hikaider. He mm-hmm. doesn't say what he does to him, but he did take Hikaider, and you could presume that maybe there's an experiment or two conducted, and maybe he put his brain in Well, him. that would actually make sense, given that when we, in the opening scene, when we see Hikaider, he wakes up, kills a bunch of guys who were there, because I'm assuming they were sent by Gurjev, the villain, to destroy him, because mm-hmm. Gurjev knows that Hakaider will be a threat to him. And he, after he kills them all, he stands there in a very 
Amemia style shot where you know it's silhouettes and shadows and backlighting. He loves mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. My gosh, it's one of the most Amemia openings out of any of his movies that I've seen. And mm-hmm. and he says, "Who am I?" So that actually would lend some credence to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So throughout the original Kikaida, Hikaida is literally the anti-Kikaida. He's black, Kikaida's red and blue, Kikaida doesn't use guns, Hikaida does, both ride motorcycles, both are evenly matched, but the difference is, unlike Dark's other androids, Hikaida is independent, and like halfway through the Hikaida arc, he says, I'm done with Dark. I'm going to kill Kikaida for myself. Oh. So Hikaida becomes a villain for both Dark and Kikaida. And that's kind of the dynamic for the rest of the series is you've got Dark trying to beat Kikaida. And then you've got Hikaida coming in. And like he's not harming the Doctor's kids but like he's using them as bait and he's just trying to get to kikaida and he wants to kill kikaida himself ah that actually sounds really interesting i I think i'm gonna have to give kikaida a watch pretty soon here Hmm. you've sold me i i really enjoyed it and then do you want me to tell you his fate at the end no that's fine that's fine okay you can can save that unless it's pertinent to what we're watching we're talking about today you don't have well i will say this towards the finale of kikaida i don't know if it was the last episode but it was it was in the final part of the the story hikaida has to change sides oh so he goes from your villain to an anti-hero Ooh, so he does make the switch. Mm-hmm. So what we're seeing in this movie is actually not too much of a stretch from how he was in the show. Right. So essentially, the way you could look at it is Mechanical Violator Hikider is kind of like the... It's not a sequel, and I don't want to say it's a sequel, but it's kind of like this is what would have happened as time has progressed for Hikider. Ah. To me, to me, at least. That's how I view it. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. So we get a, I I put it down in my notes at the beginning of the movie. We get this very, I said it was very Amemia. It's also very Star Wars. (laughs) There's Mm -hmm. some, there's some, there's, I noticed watching this is this was the second time I had seen it. I noticed a fair amount of Star Wars influence and a lot of Terminator. (laughs) particularly Terminator 2, which at this point was one of the biggest movies ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> highly, highly influential. So you got a door being blown open and a bunch of soldiers running in. Now they're not dressed in white, but we got a bunch of soldiers storming in. I'm like, that's Star Wars. That's just that's exactly how Star Wars started. And you, you are immediately thrown into this world in true Japanese storytelling fashion. You're thrown into this world and they don't explain anything until a little bit later. What you do realize very quickly is this, this is a very grungy lived in sci-fi world. <laughs> Although they also have a, uh, an alien style scanner, these guys at the beginning, and then you never see that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wonder if it's post-apocalyptic. They never say if it is or not. 
If it is, it's very implicit. I I don't think it is because if I remember correctly, they do kind of hint at this is just a small section of like Japan that Gurdjieff controls. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might be, it might be kind of like a Mad Max situation. That's what I'm thinking. Because um, it feels really Mad Max at points, but we don't see a whole lot of the world outside of the ironically named Jesus Town, which we'll, <laughs> we'll unpack a little bit as we go. But it is mentioned that everything outside of the city is horrible. But mm-hmm. we don't get any explanation other than that. We're just told that outside the city conditions are horrible that Mm -hmm. so the implication seems to be that yeah it's a mad max post-apocalyptic sort of situation i mean i was thinking it could kind of uh, escape from new york but kind of the opposite i'm not sure because i mean they word it like the city is like the only place that is good but later on you kind of figure out that things are more oppressive and bad than you realize. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's part of the setup that we have here because our villain, Gurdjieff, (laughs) he is a tyrant, but he's a tyrant who's always talking about love and peace. And you can see that, at least for him, he's living in luxury and everything seems to be idyllic, But anybody who defies him or criminals or whatever, he takes away and he basically brainwashes. And when I say brainwash, I mean, he puts them in a machine and injects chips into their brains and it erases their emotions, Mm -hmm. which makes them very pliable. They either become basically vegetables in what looks like an insane asylum, one of whom I swear to you, I can't remember the actor's name offhand, but it's the guy who played Inspector Osako in the Gamera films, the 90s Gamera films. The best actor in those three films, right? Yes. Oh, uh, I, because he was in Great Buddha in Nezera. He's in everything. He's in every, he's also in Zerum, which is another Kita Anamiya film. That's why I think he was in this as a cameo. Yokojiro Hotaru. Yep. There we go. I always remember the Hotaru, but I don't remember his first name. Yokojiro. Got it. Yep. I I thought I saw him myself. I thought I did. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. But like I said, that's what he does. So it's basically peace and tranquility through fear. We were even told that there's a lot of surveillance, so it's very Orwellian. Mm-hmm. And there's even a point where Gurdjieff says later that people should be like flowers, beautiful and obedient. That line got me thinking so much. It was like, oh, wow. Like this, mm-hmm. this, I thought it covered some really interesting things. Oh, it in does. It does. And it, I, we so we learned very there's a lot of really interesting thematic things in this and i th- honestly i can see how people could not realize that the maybe the way the film was advertised at least if you watch the english language trailers it was basically just presented as an ultra violent live action anime with a ba superhero mm-hmm. who goes around slaughtering everything and there's actually a lot more to it than that 
And every time I've watched the movie twice now, and every time I watch it, it becomes more and more fascinating to me. Real quick, I want to do some housework. Yokojiro Hotaru was in this film. Ah, good, good, good. I, I, I caught, I caught it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. And uh, since we're already talking about it, I want to unpack this a little bit. It's a dystopia. Dystopian science fiction is a very interesting genre. So we have, and I say it's ironically named. It is literally called Jesus Town. Mm-hmm. So it pours it on a little thick, but it goes into something. And I talk about this, at least in my current draft of my article for Kaiji Ramen. I talk about how Amemia likes subversion. And in this case, he's doing a reversal. So we have our hero who is dressed all in black. He has Mm -hmm. big red eyes. He looks very intimidating. And he has that X-shaped... Not a color timer, but you know this uh, this big X looks like a it's like an X shaped crack on his chest where his heart yeah. should be, and yeah. it glows red. And that's actually how the end of the first scene it just zooms in on that. So it's almost like it's saying, yeah, he's you know he's like he's broken a little bit. I don't mm-hmm. want to say it's a broken heart, not like that, but it is a crack in his armor that leads to his heart, which actually I guess makes a bit of sense as the movie progresses. But it's a, there's a lot of very interesting visuals in this that communicate a lot of stuff. But we have Jesus Town and Gurjev and Michael. Oh, Michael? Who would have thought that the villain in this would be named Michael? Just like our friend. I mean, come on, Michael. I know you have one heck, our friend Michael Hamilton. I know you have this fascination with villains, but did you have to go this far? Really, man? It was pretty intense. It was pretty intense. Got to say, as villains go, you did a good job, but might want to dial back the Zetometer there a little bit. Just saying. Anyway, so he dresses like an angel. He looks like a live-action anime character. He's got hair covering half of his face. He looks like he has wings. He's dressed all in white. And then you have his general, Michael, which is a reference to the Archangel Michael, and he looks angelic he's another android he's white he has stuff on his back that are that's like wings but we find out he's the villain he -hmm. says he's justice but he's an android that is programmed to maintain order and by order we mean brutal violence (laughs) yeah yeah but meanwhile our hero is hakaider who looks terrifying he looks like a demon really in fact when you see their first scenes in this you would think hakaider is the villain because he wakes up and slaughters a bunch of guys meanwhile the first time we see michael he's catching a guy who's running from swat cops and then the guy begs him to kill him when he catches he's like no (laughs) basically saying that you know it would be wrong to kill him that's i'm paraphrasing horribly but that makes you think, okay, maybe he's the good guy. And then turns out later, no. Because later on, Michael kills a surviving soldier who tried to fight Hakaider because he didn't fight to the death. So he executes him for not fighting to the death. Mm-hmm. And he does so by stabbing him through the head and having a blood gush all over him. It's just, it's gruesome. That that scene just like threw me through a loop. I was like, oh my God. God, that 
Because that's, I, I think that is the most, on a human side of things, that's like the most violent the film gets. And it's yeah. just like, oh my God, like he just stabs that face and blood just goes all over my Yeah, head. and that's a bit of his thing is he has this thing where he can, I, his hand will glow and then he can use it on people. He uses it on Kaoru, the girl. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly what he does to her, but he uses it on her. He tries to use it on Hakaider later during the finale. So whatever it does, it's brutal. And yeah, so we're, it's solidified very quickly for us. And that's because Gurjev has this very twisted view on what justice is. Mm-hmm. Basically he's saying I'm in charge. So I am justice. I, you are all my children and you must be protected. And by protected, mm-hmm. I mean lobotomized. <laughs> if you cause any trouble. And the rest of you will live in fear. So we have a ragtag team of rebels, a resistance, you might say, who all look like they should be in a punk rock band, a goth punk band. <laughs> yeah, I think that was one of the things that threw me off the most. He was like, these people don't look like they're a resistance. They look like they're like about to go out to the club or something. <laughs> uh, well, it's a very Mad Max aesthetic that they're going with Mm -hmm. and even them like when you see the girl later on she's in dressed dressed in all black and everybody else is in white yes yes because the rebels are in black but all of the docile citizens are all in white so again that reversal because you would think it's the other way. You know, the, the joke goes that when you're watching a western the uh, the good guys wear the white hats and the bad guys wear the black hats Mm -hmm. Uh, that's Amemia um, takes that and he reverses it. And I, I really like that. because, And I like the fact that we're also reversing the angel and demon motif. Mm-hmm. And they don't come out and say it, but I was kind of wondering with a name like Jesus Town and all of this angel imagery that's being used, I was kind of wondering as, if this was saying that Gurjev was using religion as a for, uh, to form a, a, his tyranny but we don't get a whole lot of that other than him claiming to be about love and peace when the opposite is clearly true unless this is some sort of perversion of what love and peace is which is what i'm leaning toward i do think he's a true believer but he has a very twisted view and way of going about it Mm -hmm. it could be that i mean and one thing i took from it when i watched it was how I think I finally realized that Kita Anamiya is heavily inspired by medieval stuff. Oh, yes. And to me, one of the things I thought about was the spread of Christianity, how a lot of nations and, and whatnot were pushing Christianity out mm-hmm. to other people and in some cases really forcing it upon them. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I was like, I, I wonder if that's kind of what they're trying to go with here. Because it do, there's a ton of medieval stuff. I mean, there's a knight in armor. Yes, in, in Kaoru's dreams. Because she yeah. has these prophetic dreams where a black knight comes. And it's actually a freaky dream. Like, she's she looks like a fairy. And she's tied to a tree. And then this undead angel pops out of the ground and tries to get her. And then a black knight comes through and kills the undead angel and it's supposed to be foreshadowing the coming of Hakaider. Mm-hmm. and so that was kind of my thought was maybe maybe it's 
something related to that. Mm-hmm. To Religion extent. is a way to impose tyranny on people. There have been religiously motivated tyrants and tyranny in mm-hmm. history. And correct me if I'm wrong here, maybe I'm going out on a limb here, maybe. But during the occupation of Japan, America did it push a lot more of its religious stuff in Japan. Am I it wrong? pushed it pushed a lot of things on Japan during the occupation, which is why Japan became more westernized after mm-hmm. the occupation. As for religion, Christianity has never really taken hold in Japan. Mm-hmm. Less than I think it's maybe at the most 1% of the population is Christian yeah. in Japan. Yeah. And, you know, I've always found it interesting how much, like, Ultraman, um, Common Rider, have a lot of Christian symbolism. <laughs> yeah. Every time there's a crucifixion in Common Rider, I freak out a little bit. It's a running gag on the show now. <laughs> Dude, like, I haven't watched Common Rider yet. I think I just got kicked off this podcast. <laughs> but, like, anytime there's an Ultraman crucifixion, I'm like, yes, I love it. It's so... <laughs> It's it's so left field. It makes no sense. Why are you doing I don't care. Look, it looks awesome and it's so freaky. I just love it. I, I love can tell it. you why. It's because AG Subaraya was Catholic. But he was dead by Ace, and in Ace we see all the Ultra Brothers getting crucified. I know. I'm guessing it wasn't just him, it was the whole family. <laughs> That's my theory anyway. Well, we need more of it. <laughs> I could get into a whole to do about the Catholic influence on Ultraman, but we're here to talk about Hakaider. So, yeah. So, I do think there's a lot of irony and it's poured on pretty thick, but I really like it because, like I said, it really makes me stop and think about these things. Hakaider reminds me a lot of a couple of Marvel superheroes that mm-hmm. play on similar reversals of motifs, those being specifically Daredevil, mm-hmm. who is a Catholic superhero, but he uses a devil motif in his costume and in his name because it's not just Daredevil like he does crazy stunts. It's Daredevil like he's the devil. Yeah. And also Nightcrawler from X-Men, okay. who okay. is also Catholic and was born looking like a demon, a demon. but he is the gentlest soul you will have ever met. And that's the genius of the irony. Mm -hmm. So I think we have something similar here, but it's not being done intentionally by Hakaider. He just is what he is. And you could argue that Gurjev and Michael, you dastardly, dastardly man, dastardly, secret android. And you know what? I, you know, I bet you it's funny. We never see Michael Henshin, but we see Hakaider Henshin. How much are you willing mm-hmm. to bet that our friend Michael Hamilton Henshin's into evil archangel robot Michael? I'll put $20 on it right now. I'll put 50 <laughs> <laughs> We're on to you, Michael. We're on to you. Michael, you need to send us a video of you Henshinning into Michael. Yes. And whatever you do, Elijah, make sure you don't shake hands with him. You might not keep your hand. This is true. Very true. Anyway, you could you could argue that they're using these motifs in order to make themselves look like the good guys, you mm-hmm. could say. We're the benevolent ones. 
when they really aren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we we get a few moments later in the movie. We get these moments of humanization for Hakiter. Because let's be honest, the first probably, what, about 20 minutes of this movie when Hakiter is in it, it is as 90s edgelord extreme as you could get where it looks like Hakiter is just invincible. He's unstoppable. Yeah. He's a juggernaut. <laughs> and he will not be stopped because he's just plowing through everybody. <laughs> <laughs> he's taking out guys on a motorcycle he's got a big old shotgun i got a shotgun and he just bl- blows up a door this is the you want this is, it's like amemia saw terminator 2 and said hold my sake i'm gonna do it even crazier <laughs> mm-hmm. and then he gets beat up enough that the rebels have to take him to their lair and then we get a moment that I think is just great where they're like, oh, yeah, that's a robot. <laughs> and Kaoru is trying to give him food and water. And he's like, what are you giving a robot food and water for? Robots don't need that. And then it's almost like Hakaider just stares at him. And then he eats and drinks just to spite them. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was a really cool moment for character for Hakaider. Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing that I noticed that is interesting is Hakaider never talks in his human form. Mm-hmm. The only times we hear him speak, which is not often, it's when he's in his, I don't know, android mode, we'll call it. Right. So that's also interesting as well. Now, I can say for certain that that was not the case in Kakaida. It was very different. Did he henshin in Kakaida? Yes. Okay. So he had a, a human form? Mm-hmm. He, he was literally the exact opposite of Kikaida. Both could henshin. Yeah. Yeah. The henshin in this is pretty wild, too. Also, very 90s. Yeah. <laughs> we only see the full henshin sequence once, and it's the first time he does it. So he's riding the motorcycle, and then we see CGI glass that's all red shatter, and then we see all of the internal components doing their thing and then we see wires come out on any part of him that looks human so his hands and his face and then the cgi red glass reforms and then the next shot we see him he's a kiter <laughs> yeah like i said very very 90s very amemia and then he fights the stormtrooper robots at least i think they're robots sometimes they're people sometimes they're robots i'm a little or they're birds because they sprout feathers when he kills them sometimes. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, and and Gurdjieff does it too. Like when they die, they blow up into feathers. I know. I think it's. Sense. I think it's supposed to be that they're feathers from their angel wings or something. It really only exists for dramatic effect in certain scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, they don't do that. They just. You know, get their head smashed in and when they get their head smashed in they look like robots and not people but then there's the one that michael stabs with his hand and there's blood and he's clearly a person because he even begs for his life see i was under the impression that those were the people they turned into just like drones and instead of them just sitting there like crazy people doing nothing because they're potatoes they would hook them up to a machine that would tell them you're a soldier, you're going to do this, this, and this, mm-hmm. and would send them on their way. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a little bit confusing, but to say that this movie is stylized would be an understatement. This is some of the most stylized toku from this era that you'll come across, but it's a memeo. What did you expect? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to actually go off on that a bit, because this was something I thought, like, the, the film's very confusing. It kind of just starts, and you just kind of go with it. Like, you, there, yeah. there's no, the plot's barely there, to be honest. Like, it's, it, it hangs on, but it's just kind of like, here's Hikaida. Yeah, he's pretty cool, isn't he? Yeah. That being said, I've watched uh, a, a good amount of 90s and 2000s independently low-budget tokusatsu. One that also came out around this time was a movie called Entomina Extinction. I believe I pronounced that correctly. All right. It's it's a 45-minute movie, and it's about a guy who... It's like post-apocalyptic Tokyo... Or like dystopian future Tokyo, one of the two. I can't remember off the top of my head. But he gets this weird infusion that makes it so he can create weapons from his body. Ah. The film was later remade into Tokyo Gore Police, if you've seen that. Oh, I've heard of that one. I didn't know about this original. Mm-hmm. It's very stylized. And it's it kind of like you're thrown into the plot. Or another example... Uh, and this is what I compared Entomna Extinction to was uh, the films of Shinya Tezukamoto, like uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh, yes. I know you love that film. I love that film. I love that film. <laughs> but like, it, it's very much like you're thrown into the situation. You don't get the explanation. And like there are some really cool shots. And I think Kita Anamiya follows suit which I'm happy about because there's some shots that are very claustrophobic, like the opening. Oh, yes. And then you've got some of the weirder shots that are handheld. I got Yeah, there's a lot of handheld shots in this during some of the chase scenes. There's, mm-hmm. there's some, oh my gosh, if you hate shaky cam, you won't like it when he's doing the handheld shots during the chase scenes. It's yeah. pretty shaky at points and stuff even falls out of frame a little bit. But then you have the really weird stuff like POV shots for the giant shotgun bullet. Yeah. Yeah, like you know, like when he fires it and it's a POV shot as it's leaving the gun. So you see Hakaider getting smaller and then it turns around and it's the trajectory that it's going towards. So you see its target. It's just it's insane. Mm-hmm. It is so insane. Or we get POV shots of some of the characters as they're running around. Like the way we're introduced to dastardly, dastardly Michael is he's running through the building to get the guy who's hiding from the SWAT cops. And it's just this really fast running shot of his POV where he catches the guy before he can shoot himself in the head because he was trying to, he was surrounded. So he's just going to shoot himself. He's like, nope. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's very Evil Dead. If you've seen Evil Dead, it's like, yep, it's Sam Raimi. <laughs> it's very Sam Raimi style. I haven't seen Evil Dead, so I can't comment on no, that. Okay, well, I, I have, so I can. So, yeah, it's like I said, plenty of style to go around. But it's not just, it's not like Super Inframan that Chris Cook and I talked about last week, where it's just nonstop insanity. This actually does stop a few times and lets uh, some nice character moments happen. So very beautiful scenes. Like you were talking about the garden scene. The garden scene is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Got some weird kind of 90s 
green screening going on there with that shattered statue that I'm still trying to figure out what that is because it's also in Kaoru's second dream. But yeah. then there's also, you get to the finale and there's a point where they're not, fi- the pacing on that final fight is actually kind of weird because it's not just nonstop martial arts action like a Power Rangers or a Super Sentai episode. There are actually points where they stop and they slow down and they let tension build and they let it build. And then they, there's these outbursts of violence and then they let the tension build again. You know, it's mm-hmm. so interesting what Amemia does in this. You know, there's, like I said, the weird cinematography, the experimentation with the pacing and all of that. And it still feels like it's of a piece. It right. doesn't feel divergent. Right. It's definitely a linear film. Like it it definitely to me when I was watching, it was like, okay, it doesn't make 100 percent sense, but I can see where I started and where I got to. Yeah. Yeah. It does have very clear plot beats. Hakaider awakens. He raids Jesus town. He gets beat by the bad guys at first, rescued by the rebels. The rebels befriended, particularly Kaoru. I don't think it was a romantic thing. They never really say why she cared about it. It was hinted, though. It was hinted, but I'm not quite sure what it was. She definitely felt safe with him. Yeah, and like to like her third dream, that was 100 percent like a wedding dress. That is true. And he showed emotion in that dream because he smiled. Yes, he did. Yeah, in his human form, and he takes off the armor. Maybe you're right. Maybe that was there was some sort of love. I mean, they joke about it. Her friends joke about it. It's like, ooh, sleazy robot. Ooh, got a thing for the girl. Ooh, you know? and, and then they all die two minutes later. But <laughs> I mean, Hakaider even says, "You're all awful. You're as bad as Parliament, which is Gurjev's government." He said, "You're just as ugly. You're just as terrible." Because all they were talking about was all the selfish things they were going to do after they toppled the regime and then they made themselves the quote-unquote law Mm -hmm. you know so that's an interesting point there too so it's like you're just trading one awful thing for another you know little things like that thrown in there this is clearly an anti-authoritarian film right (laughs) you know with it which is what usually happens in dystopian fiction like this. It's very anti-authoritarianism. And I am here for it. <laughs> I, I really was happy that they did the part about, oh, once you destroy the parliament, we're, you're just getting something equally as worse. I was really happy they went there because I wasn't expecting them to. And the fact that they did, I thought was really... It was interesting. Yeah. Because I... I wouldn't expect a film to go there, especially because these are supposed to be your protagonists. Yeah, your heroes. And other than maybe Kaoru, I mean, well, Kaoru for sure. The rest of them, I'm, you're, we're not entirely sure. The rest mm-hmm. of them seem like they mean well, but they also seem really selfish. And then you have Kaoru, who <laughs> looks like she's straight out of the Iria Zerum, the animation anime. She looks just like Iria. With her hair and you know the little like she's she has a little bit of color. The rest of the rebels are just dressed in black, and she has a little bit of color because she has the the you know the pink feathery highlights in her hair, and the she has the little bell. That was mm-hmm. the big thing, the little bell. 
which was used brilliantly in the garden scene. I have mm-hmm. to say that the cinematography and that, that was amazing when at the moment she dies, spoiler warning, and it falls off this visual symbol that she has died. And then it falls down. It's supposed to be hitting the ground, but the way it's edited, it looks like it's hitting water and you see ripples go out. And then that transitions to this part of her dream where she is riding on horseback with Hakaider, the knight, you know, the black knight who has come to save her. And, you know, they have this wonderful little moment together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that scene, too. I thought it was really touching. Yeah. And the thing that becomes interesting about it is that Hakaider is an android. They make that abundantly clear. Implicit, it, it, the, the implication possibly being that he might have a human brain, but as far as we know, he's just an android, and he's more human than a lot of these characters. He's certainly more human than Gurjev, mm-hmm. and that's fascinating how he has a better ha- a better handle on things. There are several points where he actually asks people, or he says that like he has one of the bad guys in hand, and he says basically he tells them the unless you have a free will, there's no reason to live. And then when he liberates some captives who are in a, basically a dungeon when he's raiding the Gurjev stronghold and they, they're scared of him when they see him walking by, then he just walks up to the cage and you know, the bars and he says, do you want to live with your own will? Basically. Mm -hmm. And doesn't even wait for him to answer. He just rips open the door. So he's all about free will. He's a chaotic influence for Gurdjieff's tyrannical control. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the desire for free will goes back to the original character from Kikaida, which was all like his character arc was he was an android for dark. And he said, no more. I want to do things my way. I don't care what. I'm told to do. Uh-huh. So I think I think part of that was also them trying to adhere to the original character while also giving him a reason to be that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like I said, there's a lot of thematic meat to this. Does the script explain everything? No. You have to infer a lot. But I wonder how much of that was oversight on the screenwriter's part. Or whether it was just Japanese storytelling. Because Japanese storytelling typically will not spoon-feed you things and won't explain everything for you. You go along with it. Mm-hmm. There's certainly more to substance to this than Super Inframan, which is just nuts. Mm-hmm. And the script is just nonsense in Super Inframan. There's stuff to this. Yeah, I, I think it's the latter point. Merely because... Anamiya, when he does stuff, everything exists for a reason. Like when I watch Zerum, like everything I think was carefully put where it was to create art. Because, I mean, Anamiya is... He's an artist. He, he's an artist. He, he designs everything. Everything has a reason for being mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, you've, uh, you've actually had the privilege of seeing his very first movie, haven't you? Mirai Ninja? I have, yes. I need to track that down and watch that. And I think part of his influence, a sidebar here, part of his influence on his design for Hikaider came from his design for the uh, the robot ninja. In Cyber ninja. Film. Cyber <laughs> ninja, yeah. 
But back on track a bit here. So I, I have a hard time thinking that because I think Anamia worked a bit on the writing room. I wouldn't, I'd be shocked if he didn't because he's very heavy in his productions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I listened to the interview that Kyle Yount did of him on Kaiju Cast, and yeah, he said that he's pretty heavily involved in everything. Mm-hmm. So I guarantee you, like, the reasoning for how the story goes is because Anamia wanted it to be very specific. He wanted that irony. He wanted the contrast. He wanted the... Because it doesn't even really explain what happens to the girl. It's all done with visuals, not... Yes. Oh, she's dead. Yes. It's very cinematic in that way because mm -hmm. film is a visual medium. Mm -hmm. It's not dialogue-driven. There's a lot of dialogue in films, but it's technically not dialogue-driven. It's meant to be visual. A stage play is dialogue-driven. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so I feel like it was pretty much... Anamiya had an idea, and he wanted to go with that, and his idea did not include a lot of dialogue. Because this film is very quiet. There's yes. not a lot of dialogue. A yeah. lot of the film is just driven by the soundtrack, which I thought. Oh, is, oh the soundtrack! It, 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 the soundtrack is brilliant in this. I mean, it's it's very '90s at points, but it doesn't quite go to the places you would necessarily expect it to. It doesn't have a bunch of techno in it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even really have a, all that much rock music in it. It's it's all orchestral, but mm-hmm. done in a bit of an unusual way. There are points where, particularly toward the end of the film where it starts to sound like church music, Mm -hmm. which fits with the angel and demon motifs and visuals that he's playing with. So it's very appropriate Mm -hmm. for this film. And yeah, it's very unlike what you would expect and a lot of stuff from this era, but it's also, like you said, it's very carefully done. It is really carefully done. But at the same time, it's also Amemia paying tribute to his childhood because he grew up watching 70s tokusatsu. Mm-hmm. He watched Ultraman. He watched Kamen Rider. He probably watched Kakaida. <laughs> so, probably did. So he's sitting there like, I get to make a movie about Hakaider and I'm going to have fun with this. And he knows how to, I mean, based off of what you're telling me, he knows how to take something that's already established and do a new spin on it that people wouldn't necessarily expect. So he's being respectful to what came before while also doing something new with it. Because I'm guessing the world in this movie, not in Kakaida, right? No, no. In Kakaida, it is quite simply regular 70s Japan. Yeah. And so and Gurjev and you know, all these other characters, not in the show right Mm -hmm. correct so he's basically taking that original character and recontextualizing him and putting him in a completely new environment that's separate from all of what came before and i like it i like what he did that i like i said watching this actually makes me interested in seeing kakaida and just to see how it's different Mm -hmm. and one thing i also wanted to point out this is kind of going back to the good and bad so when i say michael i don't think negatively about that name right no 
so the it's Kikaida, right? Kikaida. And uh-huh. Hikaider is Hikaider. And it's something about the inclusion of the H and the R that kind of makes it seem darker. Yes. And I, I really like that aspect as well. You've got Michael, which is kind of a nice, calm name. And then you've got Hikaider. Yes. It's like, ooh, that's, that's kind of dark and you know yeah 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 you're noticing that the the sound of language influences how you perceive things that's something i learned when i was a master's student taking classes in poetry you you pick up on those things and it the sounds have a psychological effect on people Mm -hmm. and i think it's really cool how like when uh gurjev says it's hikider like you can feel the tension rise when he says that. Yes. And and part of that is the name, which is really interesting, especially for a hero. Mm-hmm. So just a few more things I, I'll, I do want to highlight before we move on to the awards, because we've been talking about this movie for about an hour, almost as long as the movie is. <laughs> Commentary time. <laughs> oh, heck Yes. <laughs> I wish there was a commentary on this movie uh, by Media Blasters, but me too. Oh well. But the final battle, I have to say, gets. I'll talk a little bit more about it when we get to the awards. But there's a pretty crazy things that happen in this. I will admit, it has some kind of anime tropey things in it, where Hakaider is just whipping out new weapons without really any explanation. Not quite. Mm-hmm. Although the first one. I actually really liked, which is this whole time he's been using this big old shotgun, which by the way, apparently the recoil on that thing is so powerful. It will take your arm off literally because that happens to one of the soldiers, mm-hmm. it try, which basically is showing you that only Hakaider is strong enough to use it. But anyway, Michael picks it up and you know, I mean, Michael, are, you know, clearly he would know about this because he likes guns and he takes all the shells out of it. And then Hakaider grabs them and you don't know why he's grabbing them. But then it turns out, Oh wait, I have a shotgun in my arm arm cannon. And then, you know, I just wrote my notes. Surprise mother trucker. <laughs> he just <laughs> shoots him with that. <laughs> but then uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it in the awards, but Hakaider whips out one more weapon that made me think of a very famous line from Moby Dick. If his chest had been a cannon, he'd have shot his heart upon it. Because <laughs> <laughs> that literally happens. He opens up that crack that we saw at the beginning of the movie. And a giant, like cartoonishly huge cannon that Fulgore from Killer Instinct would envy just opens up. It comes out of his chest and finishes off the final boss. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was just like, what? what? Why, did you, why did you wait until now to use this? <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> would have come in handy before this, but okay. <laughs> sure, man. Sure. <laughs> uh, but like I said, finale for this is pretty epic oh they're smashing each other into into the wall and the innards of the walls are red so when it's all done it looks like 
the walls are covered in blood splatters, <laughs> but it's not. It's, it's so visually beautiful. It you know, is. you've got a white room, red all over, and a black like character like oh it looks so good it does there's a reason why i titled my article for kaiju ramen monstrous beauty (laughs) Mm -hmm. because that definitely describes this because amemia likes designing things that might seem either monstrous or ugly ghastly even at one point i considered what was my original title i was going to call it hideous beauty you might call it hideous, but you can't take your eyes off of it because it's beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. He he's almost like the HR Geiger of. Oh yeah, I made that comparison actually in the article as well. It's very HR Geiger. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he was influenced to sur- to some extent by Geiger. I feel like I've read somewhere that he was. I feel like I have. Oh, that makes total sense. He drew inspiration from a lot of different places for sure. Mm-hmm. But I would not be surprised if Giger was one of them. Mm-hmm. Man, good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> so with that, unless you have some more things to talk about, Littlest Gatekeeper, shall we move into the awards? I mean, I've I've pretty much said everything that I can say. All righty. I have a few leftover notes, including, I think, I may have actually, I could be wrong, but I think... I found the namesake for our villain. It's spelled differently, but George Gurdjieff, Gurdjieff, he was a Russian philosopher as well as a mystic and spiritual teacher. This is what Wikipedia says. Mm. And a composer? Yeah. He taught that most humans do not possess a unified consciousness and thus live their lives in a state of hypnotic waking sleep that it is possible to awaken to a higher state of consciousness and achieve full human potential. So I guess that's his teaching in a nutshell. Because I was wondering because it it doesn't look like a made-up name and Spellcheck didn't mind it. So I'm like, why is this name okay? So I looked it up and I don't know. I don't know. But given the religious overtones in this film. I wondered a little bit. Mm-hmm. Perhaps I should dig into this a little bit more on the film vault. What do you think? Should I throw this onto the film vault? I kind of want to throw it onto the film vault. Maybe I was thinking about how I need to cover it on my podcast when I come back. You should, you yeah. should. Anyway, it's time for the awards. My friend time for the trademark awards that. Well, Michael, because he's dastardly like that, as we saw here, thinks that they are perfected on the power trip, even though they started here. He stole them. Let's be real. He stole them. That's for sure. I mean, I let him steal them, but I'm on that show. So is it really stealing? Maybe from Travis, but not from me. I don't know. Stealing from Travis. Michael should be ashamed of himself. Yeah, you should be. You should be ashamed of yourself. You think you're justice? Look at you. Look at you. You're a little bit confused because in one scene you say you are a servant of justice, and then later you say you are you are justice. I, I'm just a tiny bit confused. You got a servant to justice and being justice 
two different things. Anyway, so first up, we have the Henshin Kick for the best stunt or fight scene. And since you are the guest, I will let you go first, Mr. Thomas. Well, I had to pick when the soldiers use their rocket launcher to blow Hikaider out of the building that is the stronghold for the rebel fighters. Yes. And he goes flying out in the explosion. He's surrounded by fire, hits the ground below. A good couple of stories. He fell there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is then followed by the soldiers walking back and Kaoru and one of her friends are just standing there and most of them just walk by and then the guy at the end of the line just points his P90 because I know what kind of guns they're using and just casually shoots them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she doesn't die. Not immediately. It's funny. It's kind of, it's like darkly unintentionally funny. I don't know why. Yeah, that was pretty epic. And oh man, this is back when things were all practical. Mm-hmm. If they had done that now, they would have CGI'd the snot out of that. But that was re- a real explosion with a real actor. That was a real stunt. Oh, I miss it. I miss it so much. Oh, and we here on Henshin like to give this award to instances where it's real stunt work being done. Anyway, you could, you could win an award for that speech. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now my nominee actually goes to a bit of choreography from the final battle. I call it the ultimate fist bump. (laughs) It's when a kiter and Michael run at each other and their fists clash and it makes that gong sound, (laughs) which happens a lot as they're hitting each other, which is a nice bit of detail because the movie remembers, hey, these are robots, so they would make different noises when they hit each other. Also, Michael sounds like the Tin Man while he's walking. It just cracks me up. Hakiter doesn't quite sound like that, although Hakiter has curly-toed shoes, which are a thing, apparently, in Toku. I don't understand that. All bad guys have curly-toed shoes in Toku. I've seen that in basically every era. They all wear curly-toed shoes. I don't know why they do that. It's a thing. I dig it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, like I said, ultimate fist bump. Someone actually did make that into a GIF. And I'm like, I need to start sharing that as like a fist bump GIF a little bit more often. I need to get some Hikider shoes. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. And now on to Takatoku for the best special effect. What'd you have? Well, I had to put this because Anamiya is probably my favorite. 90s stop motion director. Yes. I adore the giant mech of a monster that we got with Michael's head. Oh, and the claw. And I love the, oh, I love the fact I don't, you haven't seen Kakaida, so you wouldn't, I don't know if you picked up on this. Michael's head turns blue and red, and it is literally Kakaida's face. Oh my gosh, that's effed up. That is so cool. That is actually this. I have the same one. I, I, I wrote stop motion Uber Michael is pure nightmare fuel because he's misshapen. All vestiges of angelicness are gone. It is true ugliness. And it made me think of the Bible verse that said that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. So it's like, this is when the veil gets pulled away. This is the devil at this point. 
And I love the fact that they use the hero of the original show's face for it. It's, <laughs> that just adds an extra layer of not only homage, but irony for me. But it's glorious stop motion mm-hmm. at a point when I don't think there were any American filmmakers who even still did stop motion at this point. I mean, Phil Tippett was probably still doing a little work by this time, but not a yeah, lot. And I know that, oh, what was the guy's name? Uh, Stan Winston. Mm-hmm. I know Stan Winston was still a big proponent of it, but it was much less common by this point. This is Harryhausen levels of artistry here with this crazy misshapen thing. I don't, we don't even know what this robot is. It just shows up with the big old claw machine claw da claw and just grabs the head after <laughs> a kiter mortal combats it right off <laughs> mm-hmm. a kiter wings <laughs> uh, clearly a kiter was a sub-zero main back in the day <laughs> so <laughs> and he just picks it up and puts it on and then oh crap this, this isn't even my final farm yeah <laughs> but so it's like i don't know why this is happening but i'm here for it you know <laughs> yeah all righty and now for coming at you for the best line so we had a little bit of a talk about this one <laughs> what did you have so you were actually wrong the line that i was referring to was justice this is what i do with it i burn it in flames Ooh, that's when he's holding the orchid, right? Yeah, and he burns the orchid. I love that. Yeah, because that was one of the analogies that was brought up because Gurdjieff tells Michael, because he has this silver tongue, he tells him that all of the smallest living things in Jesus Town have to be protected, including the flowers. Mm hmm Including the flowers. And then Hakider just gets a hold of it and he just hold, and he just burns it. Like, this is I, what I think of your justice. <laughs> I love Hikider's style, man. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Hikider's definitely, I live to see the world burn kind of guy. Yeah, well, when it when it's filled with tyrants like this, for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. Because that goes along with the line that I chose that I will, I tell you, man, when I watched the movie the first time, I like, I had to, I almost like, I have to pause the movie and think about this for a second because <laughs> I love the irony of it. Oh my gosh, it is glorious irony. And that is, he's about ready to fight Michael because Michael is a dastardly, dastardly, terrible, no good, horrible android man who also gets high on his vinyl figures whenever he opens them. Just, Oh, man, what is wrong with you? But basically, Michael says that he is justice. He said he tells Hakaider, "I I am ju- I am justice, and I will terminate you." Basically, I'm paraphrasing. And Hakaider responds with, "If you are justice, then I am evil." I love that line. And I that- love that line because I'm just like that because you have. Out of context, it actually sounds really horrible. But when you understand the context where it's Hakaider speaking against this perverted version of justice that Michael and Gurdjieff have been running Jesus town on, that it's not real justice, but because he doesn't adhere to what they call justice in their 
view in their eyes, he, Hakaider, the anti-hero, is evil. He's the bad guy, but he's not the bad guy. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. I could write a whole essay on that line. <laughs> it's very well written. Like, that whole final fight I thought was really well written. Oh, most certainly. Yeah, there's some good one-liners in there. The choreography is great. We already talked about the kind of unconventional pacing of it. It's just oh, it's just great. People, you need to watch a kiter, all right? If you think it's just empty, ultra-violent, edgelord BSO, I promise you it's not. <laughs> and now for my favorite award, and it did have a couple of candidates for it, WTH, what the headshin for the craziest moment. What did you have, my friend? So the film's pretty crazy. It's 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 pretty crazy. I could have just went back with the stop motion mech monster with Kikaida's head, but I felt like that wasn't giving this one scene that literally made me like silently freak out for a second. I felt like I needed to give that scene justice. And it was when Hikaida finishes Michael, he twists his head and then he pulls it out in the circuitry of Michael yes. is red. And I'm like, oh my God, this like it looks like he's pulling a random person's head off in the spine. And it was like, oh my God, that's so it's like it's not gory, but like when you think about it, it's like, oh my God, this is horrifying. Yeah, it's very visceral. I remember watching that scene. I was like, oh, my God, like this. This is insane. Yes. So that was probably the peak of my like, oh, my God. Yeah. Mine is a, a very different moment. Like I said, I had several candidates that I considered. Mine has to go to just we were hinting at it a little bit with some of the bad guys exploding into feathers for some mm-hmm. reason. And we hinted at this one where. We have this moment where Hakaider, who's lost an arm by this point, I might add, confronts Gurjev, and Gurjev tries to say, I will make you powerful. Just side with me. He's trying to win with his silver tongue because he knows he can't beat Hakaider in a fight. And Hakaider's having none of it. And then Gurjev says, well, fine. Are you going to kill me? And Hakaider says, you're not worth killing. He starts walking away, and then... (laughs) Gurdjieff makes the classic blunder, which is, well, he's going to let me live, but I'm going to try to kill him anyway. So he picks up a giant gun to shoot Hakaider in the back. Hakaider realizes what he's doing, runs back, punches him in the gut, or maybe like impales him in the gut. I'm not quite sure, but he hits him in the gut. And then suddenly a bunch of white feathers explode around him and a light from heaven shines down. And I'm just like, what is going on? How is there a light from heaven? They're hidden doors. What's going on? It is the only time that happens. So it's like, it's like God himself is blessing the judgment of Hakaider from on high. <laughs> <laughs> this is my judge, Hakaider. <laughs> His judgment is a righteous judgment. <laughs> just, okay. 
it's kind of like how the joke goes that every John Woo movie randomly has doves that appear in it. <laughs> it's like that. It's how it felt. Okay, never happened before. It didn't happen after. But yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, and with that, my friend, it is time for Minute to Henshin It. This is the part of the show where we give our final thoughts in one minute or less, since you are the guest, Mr. Thomas littlest gatekeeper that you are i will let you go first are you ready for this are you cognizant enough mr i'm running on three hours of sleep okay i'm gonna do this i'm gonna we're gonna be uh we're gonna be a uh uh fudge popsicles uh, <laughs> i haven't even hit blood start yet <laughs> uh i'm gonna be a uh what's it called an auctioneer there you okay. go. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Here we you go. ready? Yep. All I'm right, ready. on your mark, get set, go. Okay, so to, uh, to, I have a minute. Oh my god, this is so stressful. So the <laughs> designs in this film are amazing. I think it was a brilliant, uh, modernized adaptation of the Hikider design. I loved Michael. I thought he looked really cool. Um, Kidanami has this wonderful vision in his head, and we see that throughout this film. Uh, I, I love the soundtrack. It's very. It's it's kind of industrial esque, which I appreciate that because uh, Shinya Tezukamoto does that a lot with his films, and I think that's a really cool thing he does. Besides that, I uh, the characters are pretty hollow, but I was uh, interested enough in them to be involved with them enough. And I love the design, the setting. The setting in this film is amazing. I love the the location it is it's so cool and i love how rundown it is overall i just it's a great film and i can understand why some people rank it as one of the best tokusatsu films from the 1990s it's truly remarkable time you did it you did it man <laughs> i i had to put on my own one minute timer because like I, oh. I couldn't trust myself i was like I'm going to watch this. I'm going to see if I can do this. And I was like, oh, God, I haven't finished. I got to say this. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. On my mark, get set, go. It's hard to follow that up. <laughs> it's really hard to follow that up because you, you got everything in there, boy. <laughs> you did good. You might, you might have a little bit of rust from not doing this for six months, but I think you're getting it back. <laughs> probably should be proud of yourself but yes this is a remarkable piece of toku it's surprisingly deep thematically it had me thinking quite a bit which is more than i can say about a lot of movies that i watch <laughs> but this like i said plenty to chew on it's more than what it's being advertised as like i said as just ultra live action ultra violence in a crazy anime style it's got plenty of like i said thematic stuff stylistic points it's amemia at his most amemia ish i would say one minute i did it i did it <laughs> <laughs> all right and with that i want to say one more time thank you very much for coming on the show elijah if i ever 
need you to come on again. Would you like to come on to the show again if I can find the right thing to talk about? Uh, I mean, Kakaida. Kakaida. I'll keep that in mind, most definitely. Uh, you can get Kakaida from Generation Kakaida, correct? Is that where you- Yeah. Generation Kakaida slash JN Productions. Uh, you can get Kakaida, the entire show, plus the 3D theatrical special you can get kikaida zero one the sequel series the 2014 kikaida reboot film and from media blasters oh really the 2014 the 2014 reboot film maybe that's what we need to have you on for which it also features hikaida Ooh, the design is closer to anamiya's than it is the original so, yeah, Ooh. I forgot to mention that the entire recording, and I, oh, I just... uh, I'm adding that to the list and putting your name down. Mm, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I think we know what you're coming back for. Otherwise, thank you for listening to the Henshin Men, a Tokusatsu Appreciation Podcast. You can find links to all of our social media in the description of this episode. You can listen to more of Travis on Kaiju Weekly and to more of me on the Monster Island Film Vault and the Power Trip, a journey through the Power Rangers franchise. And just to let everybody know, I said it at the beginning of the show, I'll say it again, we are a proud member of the Kaiju Ramen Media Podcast Network. But, Elijah, where can the heroes of the internet find you? Sometimes I don't know if I can even find myself on the internet. (laughs) But you can try. You can try. Try. If you find yourself, make sure to tell yourself that you're looking for you. (laughs) Oh, hang on. I gotta process that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> shameless plugs. Shameless plug time, baby. So, <laughs> baby, <laughs> I do have a podcast. I do have a podcast. I think it's not active right now. <laughs> it's called Kaiju Conversation. You probably haven't heard of it. <laughs> I. I'm supposed to be doing bi-weekly episodes. I haven't done an episode in like six months. I've been very busy, very busy, but it's in doing good stuff in relation to entertainment. So that's good, but you can find that on iTunes, Spotify, all the great podcasting platforms out there. We also have a Twitter and a Facebook. You can find at Kaiju underscore converse. We have an Instagram at Kaiju conversation. Uh, Besides that, you can also check out our Discord server where people chat about Kaiju and Tokusatsu daily. Uh, The most recent message I saw was about Ultraman and Monsterverse, and I won't give my opinion on that. (laughs) Besides that, you can find me, uh, find me in, uh, in air quotes, on YouTube at ET13 Productions, or on Twitter at ET13 Productions, or on Instagram at ET13 Productions. I post figure photography, my thoughts on news, like I'm not buying Apple TV Plus. Just throwing <laughs> that out there. Just throwing that out there. In case it wasn't obvious, I am kind of a Godzilla fan, but Tokusatsu <laughs> is also really good. Godzilla is tokusatsu, and you can't convince me otherwise. 
not what's going to be on Apple TV Plus. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, anyway, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> but <laughs> you can find me those places. I also have other personal accounts. I'm not going to link them, but if you want to look for them, you can. It's just where I throw whatever's in this noggin of mine out, which, as you can tell, hopefully, it's a little bit of a train wreck up here some days. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. We go by it. Yeah, he still comes on the show and he podcasts for your entertainment. I mean, at this point, I just put on acts every other day and I'm told them the day before. And I'm like, let's do this. Let's do it. I'm ready to play a character and I'm ready to podcast it. I'm ready to go to a tournament. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Do let's it. Do it. do it now. <laughs> if you found some enjoyment from this podcast, then honestly, with <laughs> with a half asleep high schooler, how could you not consider giving us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and on Podchaser, which is basically the IMDb of podcasts? That is how they describe themselves. But until next time, what are we going to say, Elijah? Hikaida has found Michael guilty of mortal henshin.